on the Empire Podcast this week, the Allied Advance reaches a pod booth as Robert Zemeckis drops by to talk about his new film. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast is coming to you on Black Friday. And accordingly, I've taken 50% off. Off my clothes. Yes, I'm doing this in my pants. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, back after my first genuine week off of the year. It was awful. A screaming void. So I came in. I just I, I just wanted to run in and hug you guys. Uh, welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. And because we're coming to you after Thanksgiving, even though we're British... Although you've got an American passport, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. I do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll get on to that. Uh, even though we're British, we wanted to uh, celebrate an American tradition. We're go- each going to pardon one turkey of the year. That's nice, isn't it? Uh-huh. That's lovely. So, join me to do that. You've heard him already. Our art house guru and, this is very important, new news editor of Empire Magazine. Oh, yeah. Hooray. Phil Desimlian. Thanks. Well done, Phil. Thanks. Thanks, you, you guys. You beat off many men to get, uh, <laughs> to get that role, <laughs> I hear. I did. <laughs> I Did I? I don't well, know. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't sure. know what you had to do to get it. <laughs> I don't know why. I'll keep that off the record. Um, thanks, Chris. Uh, John Nugent is here the quiet poddle or George Harrison looky likey <laughs> it's so weird that I didn't see this for ages now all I can see every time I look at a picture of George Harrison uh, I see you it's it's <laughs> it's uncanny how much you fake that you look like him <laughs> in fairness it's that sitar he carries around with it him. is a sitar <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit weird what's your favourite George Harrison song oh that that famous one oh. the George, uh, my name is George, and this is my song. <laughs> no, I like um, something. Is that that's that's a George Harrison one? You've isn't been it? a bit vague about it. I asked you for your favourite George Harrison <laughs> song. Oh, there Come we on! Go. Come on! Now we've started. <laughs> now we've started. Oh, I'll, 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 that's, that'll be the basis of a tweet later on. <laughs> my sweet lord. There we go. <laughs> Dreadful banter. <laughs> Anyway, the Beatles welcome. retweeted us the other day. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Did they? Yeah, which was impressive considering... Two of them are dead. Two of them are dead. <laughs> wow. Because they sent us um, the Eight Days a Week documentary and Is we it? tweeted about it and they retweeted us. Wow. That was nice, wasn't Is it? it? Do you think it's Ringo? In his, <laughs> yeah. You know, in his little shed. Ringo going, is just... Peace and love, peace and love. Oh, look at that. Empire Magazine retweeted Oh, must retweet them. Yeah. Yeah. Ringo, the drummer, was in his shed. <laughs> 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 oh look there's a lovely tweet right sorry yeah carry, carry what on what's happening I don't know <laughs> uh, Helen goes away for one week and it what just descends happening? into anarchy come back within Helen the within the first six minutes um, hmm. so anyway that's all part in the turkey for Christmas all shall right. we I can't pardon Suicide Squad I haven't quite I haven't begun the grieving process we came in here going Guys, we don't have a lot of time today. Let's do a tight 45. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did we? I missed that bit of the conversation. <laughs> I was in the intros. I was in the loo, <laughs> reading the paper. <laughs> oh um, I think I'm going to go with Alvin and the Chipmunks, the road chip. Okay. Purely because it's got John Waters in it. <laughs> um, what? Okay, that's Did I do enough. wrong? No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It seems like a strange... Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I is reviewed it. it. I hate you reviewed it. it. But this is a time for forgiveness. Okay. But we can't forgive. You can't You can't. Forgive. Are we saying this is a film that we, we think has redeeming features and I want to revisit and maybe appreciate more? 
No. Right. Yes. Or just a film that we, we kind of hate, but hey, it's Thanksgiving. A, a, a terrible film, but we're we're going to go a little bit easy on it, and it's yeah, it's okay. And now we can run free and and run around a field with the other terrible films. Sounds Whereas like the a- other terrible films of the year then will be uh, cooked and eaten. Gotcha. So, so <laughs> yeah. So you're going to go for Alvin and the Chipmunks, the road, the road chip, the road chip, the road chip. It's is got that a good? good? It's got a solid pun, and it's got John Waters. Has it got Jason cameo. Lee? Uh, it does. Yes. Uh, Jane Huge. Uh, I'm going to pardon Criminal, <laughs> starring Kevin Costner, just because I feel kind of guilty. I gave it, I reviewed it, and I gave it one star, and I Generous. was pretty scathing. I think I said something like, "We can but pray that scientists invent a procedure to remove the memory of ever having watched this film." And, uh, I was yeah, it was a bit. I was a bit harsh. It wasn't that bad. I mean, it was that bad. It's 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 not a good film. I can't recommend it. But uh, I feel I feel you know yeah. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, perhaps I I let's say sorry, Kevin. He was on this very podcast, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was. I fear that I interviewed him and probably opened the podcast with my usual objective. Kevin, your film was fantastic. <laughs> Hold me in your arms. Yeah. Let's celebrate this work. It's so tricky together. to do. It is so tricky oh, to no, do. No, I try so hard not to. I hope I didn't do that, but um, it was a terrible film. I've done it. I've, I, I, I have done it. I've done it fairly recently. I'm sure, but I try not to do it too, too much. I did it when I said days. I liked your jumper earlier. <laughs> it's a very nice jumper. Actually, no. It's 20 pounds in Tesco. Okay. And it looks like it costs 30 in Asda, so... <laughs> it's a real bargain. Black Friday. <laughs> it's up from t- tenner. Um, what, what, what's yours? Um, I don't know. It's been a, I, I think it's been a pretty bad year. Um, so we're, we're part, partly in a really bad film. I, I, a really bad film? I don't know. Is, is it a really bad film? Hmm. I might pardon Batman Superman. Ooh. Dawn of Justice. I know that we as a magazine... Uh, gave it three stars uh, I didn't agree with that but I have seen it four times weirdly <laughs> enough three times for work uh, no yeah twice for work then I took my wife to see it because she wanted to see it oh drinking game uh, and uh, and then I saw it a fourth time when the extended edition came out and the extended edition I've already said this in the podcast the extended edition isn't a great film by any stretch of the imagination but the extra 30 minutes does make a big difference and makes it more of a of a whole uh, so I'll, I'll pardon Batman and Superman uh, Dawn of Justice um, and of course you know it's, it's given us the Wonder Woman guitar theme with Hans Zimmer oh, let's rocking not, out let's not think about that again do 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 John you love this yeah don't you I'm not pardoning Hans Zimmer okay. <sighs> he he remains unforgiven for that uh, mm. I'm sorry sorry Hans that's harsh that's harsh. It's the most smoking guitar riff uh, since George Harrison laid down a bitching guitar track <laughs> on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Why am I telling you this? You know this already. <laughs> Actually, Eric Clapton plays guitar in that song. Anyway, there we go. Yeah. Now they're running around. Free. I thought about partying. They're spawning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> one. oh my God. Batman versus Superman <laughs> versus... Chip. <laughs> Alvin. It's happening. Versus Kevin Costner. Happening. Kevin Costner, of course, is part of the Batman Superman universe. He's in Batman Superman. We've pardoned two Kevin Costner films. Yeah. I think that says it all. On this most American of days, post days, because Thanksgiving was yesterday, we have pardoned the great American icon that is Jim Garrison and Elliot Ness. And all those other people. The, the bloke in Dances with Wolves. Yep. Yep. John Dunbar. Yep. 
He doesn't need pardoning for any of those, though. He doesn't. But I'm just saying that yeah, he's yeah. such an American icon. He is. That I, th- I felt that subconsciously we were pardoning him. Right, okay. God bless um, America. Amazingly, that wasn't this week's question. <laughs> oh, God. That's just the intro still. <laughs> Whoa, is that the intro? <laughs> the, the intro enters its fourth hour. <laughs> That was a Kubrickian prologue. Okay, so time now for this week's question. And um, John was parachuted into this at the last minute. We had a question lined up uh, that Phil had prepared for. Is yeah, that right, Phil? You had I did. Prepared. I did like You'd written down stuff. and I brought in a major consultancy firm <laughs> to workshop some answers <laughs> to try and make it funnier than the normal oh, like, uh, yeah. crap that I come up with. But yeah, mm. uh, another time perhaps. Another time, because uh, we felt it was unfair and John to just... Um, Expose him to a question he hadn't seen before. So I thought we would do it with all three of us. So it's you're been an ashram since yeah. last month. <laughs> um, three, three, uh, there's three of us. And yesterday I asked for a bunch of questions from the Empire uh, Twitter feed and you responded in your tens. Uh, and so I haven't seen these questions. You've seen some of them, John. I have, yeah. We've had quite a few. Well, we've. I'd say the vast majority are from someone called At The Real Dodge or Doge. I'm sorry if I'm pr- mispronouncing that, but. Uh, mm. Uh, he or she sent about about 100 in the space of an hour, which is very impressive. Some of them uh, better than others, let's say. Best use of a football not soccer related. Uh, best reference to another film an actor has been in other than Deadpool. Okay, Some good. of these are remarkably specific. That's Best how- power tool seen in a Disney live action movie. <laughs> <laughs> any, any classic scenes with power tools spring to mind in um, recent Disney live action movies? Um, um, is Halloween 3 uh, Is there a bit in Bed Knobs and no. Rimsticks where they make the bed? <laughs> they, they assemble it from Ikea. I don't know. That's oh. so. That's so, how do you want to do this? You want to just take one at random? Uh, and hats off to Dodge Doge uh, for that deluge of questions. Yes. Um, and no, I don't know what the best power tool scene is in a Disney film. I can't think of a single one. Uh, interesting. I mean, we have we did have others, other questions from other people. So many questions. Oh yeah. <laughs> Quite like the human centipede one, but maybe that's. Well, you've said it now. You might as well read it out. You might as well read it out. Broadcast friendly. It's on Twitter. This is. Oh, here it is. It's from at farting skittles. I'm not going to answer this question. Okay, I'm just going to read it out and let the uh, let let the listeners judge farting skittles. Okay. (laughs) The question is: You are in a human centipede. So already we're off to a bad start. Which members of the MCU would you choose for front and behind? That's the question. Okay. So we're not answering that. No. No, we're not answering that. My mum listens to this podcast, you know. Does she? Yeah, she does. I don't I she doesn't need to have that image of really? her her firstborn son. No, she doesn't. She probably doesn't know Wedged what human between... centipede is. Mum, don't Google that. Yeah. Mm mm. Iron Man War Machine. Would, it's true, though, think about it. Yeah, no, no, I don't want to think about it. What's the question? <laughs> What's the question we're going to tackle? You don't want to be on either side of the hog. <laughs> John. Oh. Okay, hang or on. Or Red Skull. I'll get it. <laughs> yep. If his skull's red, yep. what's happening down the other end? Okay, this is from At The Real Dodge. Strangest inclusion of a scientist <laughs> in a movie scene. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what the hell is I, that question? I don't know. I don't know. Strangest use of a scientist in a movie scene. 
Just really think about that. <laughs> really mull that one over in your head. <laughs> I feel like unusually all of these have an actually very specific answer. Yeah, they're not talking points. It's an actual quiz question. Yeah. I think these are traps. I think mm, the, the, the real the real dodge is, uh, has laid trap. traps for us, and we don't get the correct answer. All I can think about in that context is Sorry. Jason Isaacs, who was on our live podcast not that long ago, talking about his appearance as the world's most intelligent man, <laughs> a scientist of sorts, <laughs> in Michael Bay's Armageddon. Yes. Um, Yes. Which was he told a hilarious anecdote. I'm not going to repeat because it was literally a month ago. Um, <laughs> you can't remember it. Yeah, I can remember it. <laughs> I can remember it. Well, so anyway, to Pracy, he had a line of dialogue that was explaining the the, the sort of global catastrophe that was uh, guaranteed by this asteroid impacting the Earth, uh-huh. and he delivered it with such authority <laughs> that Michael Bay, after they wrapped the scene, ushered him over, and he was like, uh, "Jason, what was that?" That was amazing. One minute you were like an English actor, and the next minute you were this scientist guy saying stuff. <laughs> Is that theatre? <laughs> and oh, he was like, that's, yeah, that's pretty much acting. I, w- I want someone to explain yeah. acting to Michael yeah. Bay with the aid of a PowerPoint presentation and pie well, charts. And it's exactly the same as yeah. Ian McKellen in Extras. Yes. You remember when he's talking through Gandalf on the graph? Yes. Oh, Sirian, yes. Serene, Gandalf, Serene, Yeah. That's pretty much the explanation that Jason Isaacs had to, had to proffer. <laughs> um, so him, I suppose, that springs to mind. I can't, I can't think of su- superfluous scientists. Yeah, I can't think of... It's not like... <laughs> superfluous, yeah. You like, know. Well, you wouldn't need... If you don't need one, it's, a rare, it's an unusual person to yeah. put in a scene. Uh, yeah, I think scientists in movies tend to be there because there reason. plot requires them to be. I mean, something I can think of daft ones like um, like uh, Dara O'Brien does a routine. Oh, uh, twenty twelve. Yeah, about twenty twelve. The neutrinos uh, are mutating yeah, with Jimmy Mystery, and then I don't know if you know this, but a few years ago, uh, Dara O'Brien hosted the Empire Awards, and he did that routine in his in his uh, interview. And, uh, <laughs> and um, that's your Dara. That's my Dara O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> and and then uh, Jimmy Mystery was in the crowd, mm. the crowd, the audience, oh. the audience, and uh, and for our Fiddy Bloggy show that we did, we got Dara Brian and Jimmy Mystery to recreate that. Uh, it's actually still on YouTube, I think. So really fun, where Jimmy Mystery actually says his lines from the films. Yeah, and then he goes, "Oh, the neutrinos are mutating," and then Dara Brian goes, eh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> "Just like in the movie." Yeah, just like in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, also, reminded me of the Ben Affleck thing that came out recently when he was talking about, again, about Armageddon, wasn't he? And he was saying to Michael Bay, like, <laughs> instead of... <laughs> the director yeah. in a constant state of wonderment. <laughs> Why did they... yeah. How did this work? <laughs> this isn't a real asteroid. <laughs> instead of training drill guys to be astronauts why do you just train astronauts yes. to use a drill that's right <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Bay was like shut the fuck up Ben <laughs> basically any scientist in a Michael Bay film yeah, is him, probably a bit him. strange he's sort of there because he feels he needs him he doesn't really know why though. <laughs> that's amazing um, I can't think of any yeah, incongruous uh, science people period you know, it's not like it's not like in Four Weddings when and McDowell says, is it raining? I hadn't noticed. It doesn't cut to a weatherman. You know, it, it's not... I can't think of anything like that. Is there a reason Jeff Goldblum is in Jurassic Park in the first place? Why does he bring um, him? Yeah. Why is he there? Why I can't is remember. a mathematician? Well, Jeff, he's a mathematician, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's trying he's, to count he's the dinosaurs. he's picking holes in the thing from 
the first moment. So you're wondering, is he what's he doing there? Is he stress testing the place? Is he just doing? Is he does he just? I don't know. That's a great answer. That's a fantastic answer, Jeff Goldblum. Because what the hell? Why? Oh, why, is it, why my they... brother will know the answer to this. I'm sure. Mm. Um, there must be a reason why he's invited, other than just to be the naysayer. But I don't know what just it is. Chaos theory. Yeah, just doing like faces and like we're all going to die stuff. Mm. I don't know. I think yeah, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. But uh, you know, if anyone listening to this, if you're still listening to this, and fair play if you are, <laughs> uh, if anyone listening to this knows a really good answer for this question, then uh, do tweet us and also tweet the real dodge at yes. the real. D O J J, the real dodge. Yes, um, and uh, and tell us. And if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, I think we've got a good, pretty good stockpile of stuff we can we can go through for the next few weeks. <laughs> I think the real and dodge has got us saved up until 2019. I think yeah, I think the real dodge needs to take a long hard look at himself. <laughs> Those questions are incredibly specific. Yes, um, and um, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, do tweet us. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. We're on Facebook as well as Emperor Magazine, and you can email us as well. Podcast at EmperorOnline.com is the address. Apologies to John's mum. For everything, basically. <laughs> uh, right, let's move straight into movie news, inexorably wow. into movie news. Okay, so something that happened last week, as per bloody usual, just as the podcast went up, came news. And in fact, I've noticed there's a pattern here. It's always news about the new Han Solo movie. It's like they're waiting for the podcast to go up. Is the podcast up? Yes, deploy news. Uh, the news that Amelia Clark has joined the cast in what we believe is the female lead uh, of that movie. Uh, so she'll be starring opposite Alden Ehrenreich as, as Han. Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian and I presume just a bunch of of cuttings from a, a barber's shop floor as Chewbacca. <laughs> so that's all very, very interesting. Are we excited by this? Uh, Amelia Clark has tangled with big budget blockbusters in the past with Terminator Genesis and didn't exactly come out unscathed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do we what do we reckon? I mean, yeah, I I. It's we have so little to go on. It's hard to know what yeah. what she you know. This is a new character. I I think the only thing we that they've said on the official Star Wars website is that her role will round out a dynamic cast of characters that Han and Chewie will encounter on their adventures. So you know, make of that what you will. There was we did have word of a, a short list of female actors who would be joining the the movie a little while back. Mm. Uh, who were that, in the yeah in consideration for the role? Yeah, so, like so Zoe Kravitz and Zoe Kravitz, Tessa Thompson, Tessa Thompson, uh, Naomi Scott, a few others. Um, I don't know if that's the same role. There might be more than one female role. That's the thing, but yeah, we don't we don't know at this point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's exciting. I'm 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 intrigued. Uh, as you know, I'm not a huge watcher of Game of Thrones, so I, I'm not. I have been privy to Amelia Clark that much what I have seen of her so far has not hugely impressed me so uh, but I'm intrigued in Lord and Miller we trust yeah it's tricky I think she's very very good in Game of Thrones she she really uh, is you know quite outstanding in a very big and important and and, uh, demanding role Uh, she She plays Sean Bean right that's correct she is she's Ned Stark Um, no she is the mother of dragons of course and in everything else that she's done she's maybe not matched that level I I think her sort of non-Game of Thrones output hasn't been quite as impressive but Mm -hmm. but we're looking to see hopefully that this will buck this trend perhaps who knows buck that trend buck the trend buck that trend hey can we talk about the Cars 3 trailer we can in fact we should have you seen the Cars 3 trailer I have 
I have. I have. I have also. We should describe what it is for the people at home who have Oof. not seen it, or people who are going, "Why are you talking about a trailer?" Uh, but yes, what is it? Well, you know, if everyone's familiar with Cars as a franchise, yeah, it's. The, the the lesser Pixar, it's the weaker of the brood. It's the the runt of the litter. Not to put too fine a point on it, but but Cars Two was not was not their best work. That's it's sort fair of to say. bubblegum children's cartoon fare, as opposed to the the more sort of well rounded all, all ages stuff that Pixar usually put out. Mm-hmm. And then in this trailer, we see Lightning McQueen crashing and burning, and sort of. <laughs> black and white vibe and it looks like the sort of requiem for a dream of <laughs> of the Pixar world yeah it looks like Tarkovsky's directed Senna <laughs> so needless to say I'm in <laughs> but I don't know if those kids out there are currently somewhat traumatised by this because it's quite dark it's fascinating because it starts off and you're thinking oh what is this is this a racing movie this is because like, you know, again they're getting as close to the foot of real as they possibly can with the cars now and the and the, the the textures of the lighting and the track and you think what is this film? I mean, obviously you know you're watching a trailer for Cars Three, but if if you walked up to someone and they said, "Hey, take a look at this film," and you didn't know it was Cars Three, you'd be going, "What what is this?" And then um, then you become aware that it's it's Cars because you know the cars are slightly cartoonish, and uh, then you see Lightning McQueen. And then Lightning McQueen crashes in horrible slow motion. Everything's really dark and overwrought and ominous. And then the the caption comes up. From this moment, everything changes. And you think, what is this film? What is this? Is it going to be Lightning McQueen in a coma for the entire movie? Is it go- is it the death of Lightning McQueen? What, you know, is it really dark? Is it basically Pixar going lulling the kids in with Cars one and two, going, ha, 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 we're all going to die? Is that essentially what this is? Is this Pixar's harshest life lesson yet? That you know, whatever dreams you have don't get attached to them because they will be shattered at 85 miles per hour is that it, that feels to me that's where Pixar are going with this yes yes I think so <laughs> it's going to be Mater crying for 90 minutes isn't it that's essentially what it is do you think though Cars 2 was is is officially the worst reviewed Pixar film I think it's in, in the sort of low 30s on Rotten Tomatoes is it yeah it's, it's very very wow. poorly received and do you think that might have stung them do you think maybe they are responding to that in a way they're saying look we, we know that this is not well regarded perhaps we can we, we can apply the Pixar magic even to our our worst franchise possibly I mean it's a, it's also not unknown for the third part in any trilogy to be the darkest part of the trilogy mm-hmm. you know um, Spider-Man 3 what else is dark Police Academy 3 back in training Naked Gun 33 and a third <laughs> yeah the, really the darkest one <laughs> the Police Academy yeah. 3 that was pretty rough yeah um, Three Colours Blue yeah <laughs> White Mauve Mauve. Black. Mauve. Black. Yeah, the, world, the world's ends, the, the darkest part of the, the three flavors. Mm. True, 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 true. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. It didn't do badly, though. They, they, they're they reliable performers at the box office still. Very, which is well, I think so I don't know if they'll be too chastened by the, no, by I, the, by the critical reaction. Because the first one wasn't brilliantly reviewed either. But they are John Luster's kind of Although he's babies. Not, he's, he's not, not directing this. this one. No, yeah. no, no. Brian Fee stepped up. He's a storyboard animator from the first two. So right. he'll be taking taking things... From working from inside the, the uh, you know the under the bonnet. Yeah, it's. I tell you what, it's done. It's intriguing. Now. Yeah, it's, it's got people it, talking. I tell you what it's done. It's got us talking about it, yeah. and it's got yeah. us intrigued to mm. see Cars Three, which I, I'll be honest. Previously, 
you, you would have had to uh, had a lot of wild horsepower to get me into the. Hey. Thank, you, thank you, thank you, uh, to get me into the cinema to see that one. Uh, uh-huh. So this is intriguing. Yeah. And can we also talk about something else which is intriguing this week? Another promotional tool, not a trailer, but a poster. I think the poster Alien. everybody's talking about is Alien Covenant. Covenant. Uh, which unleashed its, its first teaser poster this week also said uh, also brought its release date forward by about three months Kingsman the Golden Circle is moving back to October and Fox have brought Alien Covenant forward which is an incredible sign of confidence you would imagine uh, and also bewildering in terms of how quickly does Ridley Scott make movies these days especially movies that require huge huge budgets and effects and all sorts of stuff yes I mean that's Mm. I think they were still filming at lunch. No, no, they filmed. They obviously finished a couple of months ago. But that's a big, yeah, big thing to turn around. The so man quickly. is in his seventies as well. I mean, yeah. he's got incredible work rate. Oh, it's extraordinary, it's crazy, humbling, humbling. Um, so, what is the poster? Uh, it is of an alien. Mm-hmm. It's it's a film about aliens. It's got an alien on it. <laughs> I mean, it's a blight. It's, 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 it's hard to dis- emerging from the darkness. Yeah. yeah, just to give even more description to John's um, <laughs> overview. So it's, is the is the it's an alien, the snarling kind of it's yeah the front end of the xenomorph of the of yeah. the, a, the alien itself. So none it's, of the none of the engineer right. nonsense, none of the Prometheus stepping no. away it's from the classic xenomorph, and saying you've seen Prometheus. Pretend you haven't seen Prometheus. <laughs> Everybody's like way ahead of you there. Um, here's what you love about the franchise, and it just has the the tagline "Run." So it's very simple, very effective, mm-hmm. um, very neat bit of uh, marketing. But they're working from a position of strength because you know we we went on a bit of a mini team outing to see Aliens at the Royal Albert Hall recently. Oh, we did. Um, yeah, you did. Well, you couldn't come because you were away. That's and true. We didn't invite you. No, that, no, that, that mm. is untrue. No, okay, I was right, invited. Right, I was invited, okay, but just you, t- you told me anyway. the wrong, the, a wrong venue and a wrong anyway, time, Phil. We, it was right. weird. I turned up and Some you guys weren't there. Royal Albert Hall, <laughs> down at the down at the docks, <laughs> three a.m. See you there, Chris. <laughs> so why would yeah. you be showing aliens in the docks at three a.m.? It was weird. But, so weird. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, masterpiece. Just as an absolute. So there's so much love for the franchise still, and um, they're, they're just they're just riffing on that stuff. With I, this poster. I, but I think this is interesting because you know, we've known for a while. Obviously, this is Alien Covenant, and they've been very upfront that we are going to see aliens. You know, the classic alien in this movie, and that is, if you read all the stuff that Ridley Scott was saying around the time of Prometheus, a direct contradiction of what he was saying. He was saying that he was bored of the alien. It was, you know, he wanted to do something new. He wanted to push it in a different direction. And I'm fascinated to see uh, what he's going to do with this. And, of course, to hear why he has decided to go in this direction. And it can't simply be because Prometheus was a disappointment critically and commercially. Or maybe it can't. Can I it? don't know. Can it? Can, can it? it? Can but, it? But it is interesting. I tweeted the other day going, you know, it's a, it's a movie that essentially has to make its audience forget about the last movie. While of course, having at least one character from that movie in this movie, obviously Michael Fassbender's David, and maybe some others as well. Mm. That's interesting to me, because Prometheus... Prometheus is weird. If you mention Prometheus now on Twitter, 
and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, it just gets a deluge of people just kicking it. It's an easy target. It's a soft target. You know, you have, you know, you have the guy who maps, who makes maps for a living, who gets lost. You have, you know, just stupid character decisions. Charlize Theron being flattened by a spaceship when she just could have rolled away. All that sort of stuff. All the really dumb stuff. And it's become a bit of a punching bag, uh, even though it looks beautiful. And I just, I just wonder how, you know, the reputation of that movie means you can forget about it. You can kind of just go write it off as, mm, okay, it was an experiment. We tried. It doesn't work. You, you don't want that. But mm. you do want scary aliens, you know, appearing out of the darkness and killing people. I, I, I mean, the title's a bit of a clue, isn't it? I mean, they've got Alien right back in there, mm. which they were clearly stepping away from with Prometheus. Yeah. I think there is an element of, of course correction here, but you know we won't know till we see a bit more clearly, which will be soon. I'm, I'm, I'm excited though. I mean, heck, why not? I'm, mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Alien Covenant and Cars Three, <laughs> bring it on! What a double bill! That's a double bill. <laughs> really is. It really is. Anything else? Yeah, I've got a story that I that's just an interesting, quirky one that sounds like it one day might make a almost make a film of its own, which is that after. Um, after Spectre, Sam Mendes was obviously looking around for his next project, seized upon one called The Voyeur's Motel, which was a um, a tale uh, based on a book by a writer called uh, Gay Talese, uh, who's a New York journalist who then spun off a book about a Colorado man who set up a hotel specifically to spy on his guests. Um, Gerald Foos is the name of the man. And uh, it's a twisted, dark, murky trip down the rabbit hole of you know the hospitality business there's murder there's drugs there's all kinds of sexual deviance this man is basically the ultimate kind of in-house peeping tom and uh, sam mendes and dreamworks with steven spielberg involved seized on this as a feature idea um got a script uh generated and we're excited already to go unbeknownst to them there was a documentary being made with the cooperation and help of the writer um, which has now, I think, been finished. And Sam Mendes, uh, just browsing the Hollywood trade deadline, happened to stumble upon this news uh, quite deep into his own pre-production process with the script delivered um, and has subsequently this week come out and basically said, well, it's a terrific documentary and our film is rooted. So the Sam Mendes version of the story um, is no longer and uh, he will not be making Voyeur's Motel as a dramatisation. Oh. There will, however, be the documentary version um, coming out, I'm assuming, at some point next year. It sounds fascinating. Uh, the two documentary makers have got access to the story and to the writer, and they've gone and looked at the whole kind of uh, the whole narrative of, of the process of kind of recording this strange man. It's a bit of a kind of Hitchcockian weirdness to it mm. uh, the whole story but it's a obviously a colossal I think it's known in the trade as a colossal pisser for uh, Sam Mendes um, <laughs> and he's been pretty he's been interviewed and he's fairly upfront about the fact that he's it's enormously frustrating to get this far into a uh, a project and then realise that you can't do it because you've been scooped it's so often you hear about two projects mm. about the same subject at the same time mm. um, but it's weird that it took so long for them to get wind of the fact that and I guess there's a sense of them feeling a bit let down yeah. um, by the uh, rights holders, potentially. Anyway, so that's so that's a shame, but it does leave Mendes open to other projects. I wonder what those might be. Mm, or 
maybe James and the Giant Peach, which was also yeah on the boil at one point. Absolutely. I've um, I actually read the the article that that was based on originally, and it's fascinating. It's really bizarre, um, but yes, lots of things have emerged since that make the whole story just sound a bit like well, you just can't believe everything that's that's in it. So there's there's all sorts of questions of veracity about whether it actually happened. Um, yeah, uh, it is a crazy story, but uh, I think I think that's partly what the documentary is right trying to get at. It's not just trying to tell the story verbatim, but actually look at, yeah. you know, try and se- separate truth from fiction. But obviously we live in the non, what is it? This the is post-truth the post-truth world now, yes. Post-truth world, so, so we can do post-documentaries where you can just <laughs> say whatever you want. You just make, make any opinion. old rubbish up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I've got, there's a very exciting trailer drop this week. Um, Martin Scorsese's latest film, Silence. I mean, anytime Martin Scorsese makes a new film, that is, that is a big deal. Um, this is also a big deal uh, it's being released right at the end of the year right within the Oscar season calendar so we can presume there are quite a few Oscar nominations on the cards for this one this is not a Scorsese in New York this is Scorsese doing prestige this is Scorsese doing sweeping historical epic so he's going to 17th century Japan this time it's based on a, a very famous uh, novel by Shusaku Endo about some Portuguese Jesuit priests who try and rescue another priest who's been accused of abandoning his faith so we have andrew garfield and adam driver playing some portuguese priests with some some uh, interesting portuguese accents let's say some uh, fascinating irish i would say fascinating takes garfield's accent in particular sounded like he was doing irish it was it's it's sort of a european tour isn't it that accent um it is it's he's clocking up the air miles yeah yeah uh, we didn't hear ne- Liam Neeson speak in the trailer, but uh, I- I'm sure that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be some version of Liam Neeson's Irish. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It looks it looks very nice. I think it is. It does look quite Oscar-y, but it also you know there's some really striking images in that trailer. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a passion project for Scorsese for right. years, so uh, I'm I'm fascinated by it. Um, I hope it's more kin. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Cundon, so I'm sure that you are, Phil. But, you know, I saw it at the sure cinema. You are, it, I'm sure you love it, Phil. It, it, oh, it's your favourite film, isn't it, easy. Phil? You love it. Didn't love it, no. No, okay. No. Well, yeah. This one's going to be quite long, I believe. We could be looking at a three-hour epic, so that that could be a good thing. It yeah. could be a bad thing. Fingers crossed. I don't know. Scorsese, back on the big screen. Always yes. a good thing. Uh, just a couple of very, very quick things. Uh, so it was uh, announced this week that Ben Wheatley and Tom Hiddleston may be reteaming on an adaptation of Frank Miller's comic book with Jeff Darrow called Hard Boiled, which, to my eternal shame, I have not read. A three-issue miniseries was published back in 1993, uh, and uh, apparently it's very, very Wheatley-esque. It's about, uh, as far as I can tell anyway, because I haven't read it, I should nip next door to Forbidden Planet and pick up a copy immediately. My apologies. Uh, is about a... Okay, I'm just reading the, the logline here. Uh, Carl Seltz is a suburban insurance investigator, a loving husband and devoted father. Nixon is a berserk homicidal tax collector racking up mind-boggling body counts in a diseased urban slaughterhouse. And Unit 4 is the ultimate robot killing machine and the last hope of futures enslaved mechanical servants. And... Dun, 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 they're all the same psychotic entity. Mm. So, 
It's all very, very intriguing. Sounds very, very Wheatley-esque indeed. Um, I actually spoke to Ben Wheatley this week, and he didn't really want to talk too much about this. Um, he, maybe it has. Maybe it's a little premature in terms of it being his next project, but very, very exciting uh, if that comes together. And I should read that immediately. You should. And uh, uh, David Leach, the director of John Wick, will be tackling Deadpool 2 in uh, Tim Miller's stead. And uh, Fox yes. have also got Deadpool 3 starting to get underway as well. And they're looking for th- another sort of director. Another sort of director? Another Steady. actual director. Steady now. Steady another, now. Another director. Yes. So it's all... True. Yeah. Taking along on the it's Deadpool front. Taking along nicely. And uh, Chad mm. Stahelski, who is also, um, he was um, the producer on John Wick. He, he and Leach are very much a filmmaking team. I don't think they work together on John Wick Chapter 2. And Chad Stahelski is actually directing John Wick Chapter 2. Uh, and uh, he is this week been announced as the director of the Highlander reboot, which are still trying to get off the ground. So that's all very, very exciting. And uh, one last thing, Kevin Feige was this week, uh, big Marvel head cheese, talking about uh, what Captain Marvel will bring to the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, a shitload of power it seems to be really he talks he talks in the in an interview about um, needing to cast Brie Larson because you needed to have someone grounded enough that the audience could relate to even though they're flying through a sun and punching mm. the moon little things like that <laughs> uh, so or a moon maybe not Lee Moon but uh, yeah very very powerful character so wow mm. yeah mm. how much did Marvel pay for that story uh, <laughs> let me just check my PayPal account no, oh god, I'm paying oh, them. Okay. Apparently, I'm paying them. Uh oh, you're the worst. Yeah, I'm the worst. You're even the bad at being bribed. Hey, is that a new issue of Empire? Oh my, my goodness, word. I think Whoa. it is. Hey Phil, how did you get into the pod booth this week? Was it uh, on a segue? Because mm-hmm. it should have been because you did a good segue. So the new issue of Empire is out. It went on sale on Thursday. It is very, very, very exciting indeed. It is. Our Rogue One issue, our second and last Rogue One issue, unless we just go completely nuts and do more Rogue One issues, even after it's in cinemas. Uh, There are a number, a total, there's a total of six covers, six covers, not including the subscribers cover, which is very, very cool. Mm. So Rogue One, as you may or may not know, is about the rebel plan to steal the plans for the first Death Star. And the subs cover is the Death Star plant. Which is very, very cool. Yes. So uh, we have six of the cast members uh, from Rogue One on there. We have the likes of, obviously, uh, Felicity Jones, Jin Erso. We have Diego Luna on there. He gets his own cover. Chang Wenbo gets his own cover. Donnie Yen gets his own cover. Uh, Alan Tudyk as K2SO gets the, the robot, gets his own cover. And our very own Riz Ahmed uh, gets a cover as well. It's fantastic inside. You have great, unprecedented, unparalleled access to Rogue One, except no substitutes. Uh, Dan Jolin talking to everybody involved with the movie. Uh, including Gareth Edwards, the director, and uh, John Knoll, the ILM special effects wizard who came up with the story for the film in the first place. So it's a, it's a really, really exciting stuff. But, as ever, it's not the only thing in the issue. There's a lot of great stuff inside the oh issue. Oh my goodness. So much stuff. So much stuff. Including a feature on Max Landis, the controversial Funderkind of Hollywood screenwriting, uh, and dressed him up in a... Well, actually, I'm I think it may the suit may have been his own. I'm not entirely sure, but it's a, a lurid, shocking pink suit that he then uh, we got him to hang out in the swim pool with a giant inflatable unicorn and uh, talk to him about being one of the most divisive men in Hollywood. Um, so that's a very, very interesting feature. We also have a, a feature on Assassin's Creed, an interview with Michael Fassbender as well. 
Um, so why do I keep calling it Assassin's Creed when the actual title, as we all know, is for Assassin's Creed Bender? Uh, we also have our review of the year for 2016, which makes sense given that it's 2016. Uh, in there we have our top 10 of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, we, we choose our scene of the year, mm. our hero of the year. Ooh. All sorts of stuff. It's, re- it's a really, really fun read as well. Um, our big interview this month is Casey Affleck uh, in the preview section, which Phil has now taken over. Oh, this isn't your section, though. Oh, right? no. The, the one that, yeah. Yep. We got great stuff. We got first looks at the likes of Logan, exclusive stuff, uh, exclusive shots given to us by James Mangold, the director. Uh, we have Sherlock in there. We have a T2 train spotting, which is the title still throws me a little bit but I'm very very excited about the movie uh, and in the review section at the back we have uh, some great stuff Simon Pegg talking us through Star Trek Beyond's most intimate moments uh, we have one of my favourite things we have a, a great uh, breakdown of the car chase from To Live and Die in LA with Billy Friedkin talking us through it uh, really really great stuff cool. there and uh, we have Paul Dini the creator of Harley Quinn talking us through how he came up with um I don't know, possibly the greatest addition in the last 20, 25 years, would you say, to to comic book and comic books, comic book culture in terms of characters? I can't think of any, any, another character who's had the same, like a new-ish character, Deadpool, I guess, maybe, Yeah, who's had the same sort of cultural impact as Harley Quinn in the last 25 years. Um, Mighty Mouse. Mighty Mouse. Thanks, Phil. I can always rely on you for the up to the date. Up to the date. Up to the date. <laughs> up to the date. Pop culture references. Um, but the best thing in the issue is uh, something I think is absolutely one of the best things we've ever, ever done. Um, and I can say that because I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, 15 years ago, a little film called Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring came out. Mm. And to celebrate that, the 15th anniversary, uh, Nick Dissemblian, for mm-hmm. it is he, uh, embarked on an epic quest to get all nine members of the Fellowship to interview each other but in a circle it's a really really fun piece so they all inter- they, they interview each other in the order in which they appear in the film so for example the first one is Elijah Wood Frodo he asks nine questions of Ian McKellen right? Ian McKellen then answers those questions and then Ian McKellen asks nine questions of Sean Astin and so on and so forth until we come back round again and complete the circle um, it's a fantastic fantastic feature uh, really really fun really candid answers from nine guys who just clearly love the I was going to say love the pants off each other but you know I think they, they love each other enough that they'd give each other the last bit of Lembus bread Peter Mortensen does ask Billy Boyd when, when we're going to kiss again which I thought was really nice yeah it's just really fun. You get a real sense of camaraderie so and fraternity, and it's it's uh, it is one of the um, one of my favourite things we've ever done. It's fantastic and worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, so yeah. there we go. Amen. That's a hard sell. Four ninety nine in all good and evil news agents right now in the new issue of Empire. Go and pick your favourite cover. What's your favourite cover? What's your favourite cover? Uh, I like K two S O. Yeah, everyone likes K two S O, and we haven't even heard him really speak yeah. or interact. So yeah, he's just cute. Okay, should we have a guest? Go on then. Let's let's have a guest. So Robert Zemeckis is the man behind a cadre of classics from the Back to the Future trilogy, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Castaway, Contact, Forrest Gump, and more. He's back this week with his new film Allied, in which Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard uh, battle Nazis and the hot for each other. Oh yeah, it's like you know they're spies, but can they? Can they be independent? Oh, will they fall in love? Oh no, what's going to happen? Uh, I had a fairly sprawling conversation with Semeckis this week in a top London hotel. Uh, don't want to say which one it was, but uh, it's pretty swanky. 
pretty swanky and they let me in and then I nearly tripped up when I walked in um, because they've got a new Christmas facade and I tripped up and the doorman laughed (laughs) (laughs) they started the interview Uh, so yeah we had a fairly sprawling interview Uh, this is a roughly 25 minute excerpt of that and uh, see if you can spot the bit where Robert Zemeckis gives me a really really priceless nugget of information uh, about something and I completely ignored it and (laughs) recommend him a book (laughs) <laughs> top top journalism top tips from top Chris journalism top journalist I, honestly anyway madness here we go me talking to Robert Zemeckis enjoy we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the great Robert Zemeckis how are you sir I'm very good fantastic uh, glad to hear it uh, not jet lagged we were just talking about this beforehand and you're not jet lagged you're absolutely fine no, I'm not jet lagged, but I, 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 I've been in Paris for a couple of days, so okay, that's all right. I've been, I'm okay. It's just a one hour time difference. That's right. Exactly. That's easy. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely easy. Yep. Uh, you were here uh, last year in the podcast with the walk. Yes. And you mentioned uh, back then when you were talking to us that you were about to start work on Allied. Mm-hmm. Here we are, a year later. Yeah. Now you've been prolific in the past I mean obviously Castaway and What Lies Beneath came out the same year. Uh, Back to the Future followed a year after Romance in the Stone. But even so, for a major director, a year between projects seems very, very tight. What was it about this movie that, that managed that made you able to turn it around so quickly? Well, um, this one for 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 some reason at this point in my career, um, I've got these movies that are lined up one right after the other, and um, it's never happened before, and uh-huh. may not ever happen again. But there's just been it's just it's just based on. Um, you know, uh, actor schedules and things. And, and so um, here we are. What sort of overlap was it between the projects, between The Walk and Allied? A little bit in uh, in early pre-production, um, but that was it. I mean, I really didn't start, I, you know, Allied, uh, I mean, uh, The Walk came out in October and I, and I didn't start shooting this until the 1st of uh, February the next year or so. It was just a little bit like um, like when I was finishing the walk, I had to do some prep work and set design and that sort of thing on Allied. Okay. But what, what point did the uh, script pop into your entry? Um, about three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. Okay. Uh, so... Um, so I guess the reason for the overlap was there, you know, there was the walk and Marwin call. They were, they were both ready to go. And then when we cast Marianne, um, she had commitments and that's what sorted out the two films. So the walk came first and then allied second. Okay. Excellent. So, um, so did you have a, a world war two movie itch? Is that something? No, that no, I didn't. And uh, no, but having said that, I, you know, I've grown, I grew up watching World War II movies and love World War II movies. And, uh, but I've never sort of put the word out that I, oh, I must make a World War II movie. But when the screenplay came along and I, and, and it was, you know, set in the backdrop was World War II, I thought, oh, this will be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the, uh, the movie takes place, of course, initially. In Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe there is a quite a famous movie mm-hmm. set in World War II. Right. Set in Casablanca, I think. Right, but I'm there's not... also a lot of World War II movies set in London. And that doesn't and that doesn't <laughs> seem yeah. to be that doesn't seem to be an issue. 
<laughs> no, of course, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But uh, were you were you concerned initially? You're going up against Casablanca in, in a way. People will always make that comparison. People like me, mm-hmm. who are completely lacking in imagination, will make that mm-hmm. comparison. Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, I think Stephen Knight and I talked about it for like maybe three minutes, and you know, and, and and what became instantly apparent was, well, you know, Casablanca is where. Um, this sort of thing was happening and, and, and it, and we always wanted the movie to be historically accurate. And the truth is that Casablanca was a, you know, a very sophisticated, glamorous and a city full of intrigue. And it was a very interesting time in the, in at the early 1940s, mm-hmm. everything in the Michael Cortese movie is completely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we said, ah, oh, we'll just, you know, this is where it should be. This is where, this is where it'll, where it'll uh, mm. we'll set it. And in terms of your uh, approach from a technical point of view as well, the, uh, the movie was shot largely in London on sound stages. You did a, a, some location work as well, right. but there, there seems to be a seamless blend in the movie of um, CG and real sets and real locations, and I imagine virtual sets as well. There's a Bravura sequence set during uh, 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 an air raid, mm-hmm. for example, where you have this real life action that happens in the foreground, and in, in the background you have this incredible air raid that's happening at the same time in London and those two eventually merge in some way. Can you talk about your approach as a filmmaker and and making that blend feel as seamless as it possibly can Mm -hmm. and how how technology has changed over the years? Yeah, well, you know, it's, um, it's, um, you know, it's no different than what you would do. You, You know, we, my approach is I'll use all the tools that I have at my disposal to, to, to present something in a way that might be different, fresh, unique, something we hadn't seen before, which I think is what, you know, our, our job is, uh, as filmmakers are, but without allowing the technique to get in front of the emotional thrust of the story, of which is, um, which is, you know, I mean, I think filmmakers have used what, you know, the, the, the tools that they had to do that and then the ones that did it well are the ones who always kept that as something that's supportive of the emotional core of the story um and i think that's the that's the way i approach it but i i don't um you know i don't have any specific um love of any particular type of of technique or or technology whatever works i mean but how do you know when a screenplay is absolutely ready to go. I mean, there's that old saying that films are never released, they escape, and that nothing's ever truly finished. I'm sure, yeah, no, they're never done. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure no, if you could go no, back the to The writing it. never ends. Yeah. I mean, you have to accept that. It's like you have to accept the idea that the screenplay is never finished until, I mean, you're, re, you know, the, you know, the, um, um, you know, writing is rewriting. That's mm. all it is, endless. Yeah. And it never stops. And the editing stage is as much a, a part of the writing process. Yeah, it's the final rewrite. Yeah. The the dub is the, the sound dub is the final rewrite. Yeah. 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 But on something, for example, yeah, the screenplay for Back to the Future is often held up by people as, uh, you know, you'll probably disagree with this, but a perfect screenplay, mm-hmm. a wonderful example of screenwriting. How did you and Bob know when you were done? I mean, do you do you look at that film and think, oh, I still things I'd change about that. I'm not so sure about this line or that line, or, or is it done for you? Is it is that? Well, the well, well all, the 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 one, um, um, uh, I don't know what you would call it. The one uh, 
merciful thing about movie making is that they find they all movies have to finally get finished. <laughs> they, they do. They, they take them they, off you at some point. Have, at some point, they take it away from you <laughs> if you don't if you don't finish it. If you lock um, yourself in the editing room, that's so at, at some point they have to be released, uh-huh. and um, so that is a that is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, at some point you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. You have to just let it go. Have you ever gone into a, a film knowing that the screenplay is not quite there and that you have to work at it during production? Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, very very scary because um you know, you know the the it, all writing is terrifying because you never know if you're going to figure it out. So you're always in a constant state of anxiety. You know, it's like, oh man, you know, what's going to happen? You know, uh, I got to work this out. I mean, this scene, you know, this makes no sense. This has to be fixed. I don't know. Well, what should we do? Well, I don't know. (laughs) We have to figure this out. And, And so, you know, if you have a lot of situations like that and you're quickly approaching, um, the shooting, um, it gets very terrifying. You don't, you don't, you don't want to be in that situation. Yeah. You, you want to be in a situation where you're feeling confident about the screenplay, knowing that there are holes that things have to be fixed. that you got to shore some things up here and there along the way, but you don't want to be in a situation where, uh, gee, you know, the ending of this movie doesn't seem to make sense, but we're going to start shooting anyway. Mm-hmm. A lot of movies start uh, going to production that way. And of course the final product, Mm. Um, Has it been a while since that's happened for you, or in terms of, you know, the only the last time the last time and the the, the and, and it's and it's the, the the only time that I was in that situation, um, and it's and it's the last time so far. It's been when I made Romancing the Stone, where we were going down into in production and and i man we were i knew that the screenplay had a lot of problems and we were scrambling all you know writing all night and shooting during the day and yeah it's um you know and then what we had to do ultimately on that movie is after after assembling a film uh-huh. um go back for a, a, about 10 days and shoot scenelets and and fix things oh my god yeah and that's show. not and that's and that's not a pretty pretty picture yeah. you know? it, it doesn't show it doesn't show yeah i know i know <laughs> but you don't you know you don't want to be in that situation absolutely are you someone who revisits your, your films i've spoken to you quite a lot in the past and you always seem like someone who's focused on what's next mm. rather than What's behind? Yeah, well, when you say revisit, what do you mean? Like, do you rewatch your old, old films? Do you? Yeah, well, look, I got I got young kids, and uh, you know, and as they're getting older, I'm I'm showing them uh, films, you know, my old my older films, and you know, you know, I look at them and I think, yeah, that's 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 pretty good. <laughs> pretty good yeah pretty good yeah, back to the future three stars out of yeah, five right 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 no i mean I'm, I'm i'm very proud of them i i I am seriously very proud of them but you know it's interesting that you ask that question because it, 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 you know um i think it would be um you know it's it's really um it puts you in a dilemma because it's really you're in a no-win situation and i don't know if this is f- for most film you know, my wife says you're never going to retire because you know she, you know, she doesn't want me around the house. So she'll say, <laughs> you're, you know, don't ever think about retiring because I, I joke and I say, well, you know, you know, I guess I'll just keep making movies until they tell me to go. You know, you know, Bob, go sit over there, <laughs> go sit over there now. 
you're done. Yeah. Um, and I, you happen. know, and that'll be a sad, that'll be, and it's I've seen, happen. and I've seen, and I've seen older filmmakers where they've done that too. And it's, and it's sad, but mm. um, you know, who knows? But I think that the dilemma that I'm in is, is that um, I always have this feeling that I have, my best work is still ahead of me. I haven't mm. really, I haven't really done my best work yet. Oh, that's interesting. So there's still something to get. So it's a restlessness, I think. Yeah. I hope it's not an arrogance. It might, you know, I don't know, but it, it's a it's a it's a restlessness. But, but then on the other side of that coin, um, if I ever felt that's it, I can never. This is the pinnacle. Yeah. Then then it would be kind of an insanity to continue to work again because I would be, you know, very very. Um, dark place because well, I'm going to make this movie but I know it's never going to be as good as you know the, yeah. this movie so you can't put yourself in that situation either absolutely you always have to it, it, it's, it's a feeling I think like a lot of creative people have that you have to constantly top what went before and you can't repeat yourself either you have to that thing you did maybe in 1988 you can't do because you did it and that's done and you have to move yeah. on that's something I think that a lot of people right. in the creative right. arts feel as well yeah. um, but looking forward I mean Whatever you a lot do, of film, a lot of filmmakers get paralyzed by that. By the way, really? or a lot of artists, I think, yeah, yeah, I think they do. I mean, you know, I mean, if I were going to be paralyzed, the the one that would have done it to me was Forrest Gump because you know it 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 it, it won every sweepstakes, yeah. and that would be. I mean, and, but but I was very I was I, I was I was very comfortable in the knowledge that I will never be able to repeat this. Mm. You know, I'll never be able to, you know, have the number one movie of the year be the number one award-winning movie of the year, and all yeah. this stuff. It never, that, that's never, you know, and 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 the way that the film industry has evolved um, won't allow that to happen anyway. Well, you're, you're, you've always been very difficult to pin down as a filmmaker. Your, your career choices have always been very interesting. So you go from Forrest Gump to Contact, and then from Contact to the double whammy of. Castaway and What Lies Beneath. Mm-hmm. And then after that, mm-hmm. suddenly you go into the mocap arena, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a really fascinating uh, turn mm-hmm. in, in your career mm-hmm. as well. And from that point on, you know, after after Image Movers and after uh, mm-hmm. Christmas Carol, back into the live action arena. Mm-hmm. Have, have, have things changed for you as a filmmaker? Do you, do you tackle projects in, in, this, in the same way post? Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean I've, I've made all the mocap movies the same way I made the live action movies. I make the new, live action movies the same way I make the mocap movies. It's all the mm-hmm. same. No, it's just, a, you know, just a different, different cr- images are, are, are created differently. I think um, whatever you do next, and I'll ask about that in a second, uh, it's a fair bet that Alan Sylvester will be involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's an amazing creative relationship this goes back to now what 32 years to Romancing yeah, Stone Romancing Stone yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what is it about uh, Alan that, why are you so simpatico with, with him in particular well um, uh, obviously he's unbelievably talented I mean he's a you know he's, he's a genius composer um, and we uh, have a shorthand now that is um um, goes back how many years did you say 30, 32 32 yeah. years so that's really comfortable and um, uh, the thing that I've always appreciated about Alan and the thing that makes it easy for me to work with him is we never talk about music <laughs> really yeah no we, okay. I, I talk to him like he's an actor oh wow okay 
and that's how we you know i i i mean we never we never talk about music technique or the the process of music um it's always just about what feeling we're trying to evoke here uh-huh. and the other thing that i like about alan i love about alan is he talks me out of music <laughs> um and he'll say, you know, I'm not feeling, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it here. Oh, wow. So you'll be spotting yeah. the movie and then. We're spotting the movie and yeah. I'll, I'll say, don't I need some help here? And I'll go, no, I, I mean, I don't know what I would, what would I play here? You know, I don't know what, you know, he'd go, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> um, so, um, so it's, you know, it's, it's that kind of a, it's that kind of a relationship. That's um, and, and Alan is the, um. I would say that he is my uh, number one creative soulmate because, yeah. and I'm very, so, so I have this one person now who um, will always give it to me straight. Okay. Um, so he's the first person I show my first cut to. Oh, really? And it's just him and myself and my editor. The editor, editor, Obviously, but he is, he no longer has objectivity because he's been working on the movie with me. So <clears throat> I'll take Alan, I'll bring him into the, and, and, and I'll bring him into the editing room and the three of us, myself, Alan and the, my, and my um, editor will sit and run the movie for Alan the first, he'll be the only person I show the movie from beginning to end first wow. one. That's amazing. So you, so you and the him. process starts there, but what he, what I really use him for is uh, helping me cut, cut the movie. But wow. then, he, but then when we start the music, I mean, he, he reads the screenplay, but he never has any comment on it. You know, he never, he never, he, oh, he doesn't go off and start writing music because he reads the screenplay. He has to see the first images. Okay. So you don't necessarily have themes or motifs to play to the actors on set. It's, it's not that sort of relationship. Uh, we do if we have, like in the case of Allied, we had to, we had to have what we call a lot of uh, source music. Like of course, yes. Music playing in the club and all that kind of thing. So Alan will pre-record stuff for that. Okay. Um, but that's easy, you know, that's easy because, you know, I say we have to have like an eight-bit piece band in this club in Casablanca. And so, you know, fine. It's kind of like he did an, he did an arrangement of Sheik of Araby okay, well, in, in, yeah. in Allied, which yeah. is kind of fun. Okay. It has to be, you know, movie, we have to, and then we have to buy the publishing and all that stuff. So, yeah. Get there in the end. Um, so have you ever in your relationship with Alan Silvestri hummed a theme to him and said, that's what I want? Or do you let him? No, but what I have done many times is um, um, and and allies interesting. Uh, what I have done many times is uh, play him music from other composers. Okay. That I'm thinking, I'm saying this is what I'm feeling here, and I and it was funny because we always joked that. Gee, Bob, you never seem to tempt my, your movies with any of my old stuff. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I, I don't, except I did an Allied. Oh, really? Yeah, first time ever. Um, but um, um, 
yeah, it's always other composers, and okay. it's and it's not his stuff. I, I did. I think I used uh, when I was temping Beowulf. I used some of Van Helsing, so that's not really true. But um, <laughs> but not stuff he wrote for you. But that. But that, yeah. But not stuff that he, not stuff that he wrote for me. Stuff he wrote for other directors. Yeah. Okay. So what did you use in Allied? Allied, I did use a theme. One of the themes from Forrest Gump. I played it when we cut to London for the first time. Okay. Okay. It had the right feel. Interesting. Yeah. Um, as I said, I've spoken to you a number of times, and one of the things I always ask you about is what I feel is the great lost Robert Zemeckis project, which is your Yellow Submarine mm. remake. Yeah. Um, is it completely dead still? I might ask oh, yeah. every single time. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it's completely dead. Yeah. No. It's dead. <laughs> it's dead. It's dead. Paul <laughs> killed it. Paul, and- who is dead, killed it. No, video. no. No, no, Paul didn't like it. Okay, okay. So he can't. You know, you know how the, you know how you know how the 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 the, the uh, board members work, right? Yes, they of have course. a veto. They mm-hmm. have a one one member veto veto rule. That's such a shame. Um, I'm actually reading a book at the moment about the uh, the Beatles' financial mm-hmm. problems called "You Never Give Me Your Money," which uh, uh-huh. if you have never read that, it's a very very good book. But it's I, it's very I, interesting. I heard about, of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's about the 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 rise and fall very quickly of Apple and how it led to the... Oh, the yeah, right, right, right. But right, that's right. that such a shame. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying in, in terms of you seem to be a director who's constantly looking forward and not looking back. Uh, so you do you feel regret about that project or is that just something that and wasn't And by the way, you know, what, you know what? This is a grace, by the way, because, you know, I shouldn't do any remakes anyway. Okay, yeah. You know, I mean, truthfully, I mean, with the with, with how, however few films I've got left um, in me, I shouldn't be doing a remake. Yeah, I mean, why? I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, if I, I'm, I'm probably one of the few guys, hopefully left, and maybe not. Maybe it's all over anyway. But um, who can uh, get an original movie made, mm-hmm. an original idea? And I probably should, I should probably continue doing that. Absolutely, for as long as they let me. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. got a feeling they'll let you for uh, quite some time. Uh, you never know. <laughs> it's 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 complicated. It's out an interesting there. business. It really uh, is. Yeah. Are you intrigued by the way the, the the industry seems to be shifting? There seems to be a, a paradigm shift. Yeah, but you know, you know, here's what here's what here's what I'm. Um, why are uh, why am I this old and still allowed to make movies? What's going on? Where are the young guys? Why isn't somebody? <laughs> why isn't somebody? Um, re- invented the art form that's what bothers me all we seem to keep all what what everyone we keep um revamping the delivery system Mm -hmm. but we're not revamping the art form in what way would you think the art form well i mean look i mean when i was coming up um it it was very obvious that the upheaval, the cultural upheaval in the world of the '60s and early '70s, completely changed the language of film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the young guys were making movies that were very different than than the the establishment. Mm-hmm. And the establishment filmmakers couldn't understand what you know a movie like you know a movie like uh, a Hard Day's Night. Yeah, sure. I mean, they didn't. They wouldn't know what what was this. Yes. Um, you know, and, 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 and the, and the, the language of film storytelling changed like overnight and it was completely, now a lot of people say, well, that happened because, you know, movies were nobody, nobody was going to movies, you know, mm. it wasn't like this giant, they aren't these giant corporate entities. Mm. 
which have all, you know, that, you know, so maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But anyway, but, I would like to see the whole art form be re- revitalized somehow. So what is next for you? Have you? Well, I'm doing a movie uh, next summer with uh, Steve Carell called The Women of Marwin. Okay. Which uh, is a screenplay I wrote. And um, it's based on this documentary called Marwin Call. Okay. Yep. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar That's with That's the one it. that was fine with the ally that you mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. I'm not familiar right. with it. So. Uh... Yeah. It's, well, look it up on the internet. It's pretty interesting. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's uh, very out there. It's very, it's, it's really out there. Okay. Uh, how would you categorize it? <sighs> it's basically a character piece, but it's beyond uh, what you might think. It's, it's just, it's, it's a wild, um, visually unique um it's got a lot of humor it's got a lot of pathos um you know action it's pretty interesting fantastic yeah so you wrote that is that something you wrote a long time ago or is that something I, I was, you wrote no i wrote it i wrote it yeah I wrote, I wrote it um even before the walk um okay. so um yeah i yeah it's been around for quite a while yeah i wish you all the best all right, thank yeah, you. Really looking forward to it. And uh, of course, Alan Sefestri is looking forward to it as well. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's uh, one last thing, Bob. Um, we ask everybody uh, that we talk to who has either a production company or a studio or, uh, to talk about the name of that company. The name? Uh, Image Movers. Image Movers. Yeah. Where did that name come from for you? I, you know, I just came to me one day. I said, oh, we have images and, we're, and they're moving images. <laughs> it was that simple. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we weren't looking for Semeckis Productions or no. there were no other no Well, the company I had before that was Southside Amusement. Okay. Because I, and 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 that was and that was when I was just my just my, you know, my my director company and and um that was a, that was based on because I came from the South Side of Chicago. Uh-huh. Uh, and I thought I was in the amusement business, you know? <laughs> um, but image movers, um, image movers came to me one, one day, just the way I said it. You That's know? it. Yeah. Simple. We're done. Call up, get the logo right. designed. Yeah, right. We're good. We're sorted. Right. Exactly. Uh, Bob Smekers, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you so you. much indeed. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So yeah, there you have it. There you have it. Robert Smekers saying to me, which I don't think he said before. I haven't read it anywhere that his yellow submarine remake was actually killed by Paul McCartney because Paul McCartney didn't like it. And rather than following up on that, what do I do? I go, "Uh, I've been reading the book about the Beatles. You should read that book. My colleague John looks like a beetle. Yeah, have you seen my (laughs) colleague John? He's really good. Pulitzer, please. I don't claim to be perfect. Right, so uh, let's start the review section of the podcast with Robert Zemeckis' Allied. Yeah, go on then. Phil. Yeah, hi. You reviewed this movie. I did. For the yeah. Empire Magazine. Well, let's get straight to it. It's 1942. It's North Africa. It's not, mate. It's 2016. Oh, it's London. You're off to oh, a shocker. God almighty. Oh, my God. I messed that up. Idiot. Okay. <clears throat> it's 1942 in the movie. Okay. It's, we're in North Africa. Uh, the film opens with Brad Pitt parachuting into a sand dune, getting collected by a handily, whatever the equivalent of an Uber is in those days, <laughs> driving into <laughs> Casablanca, and uh, turns out that he is a... He's a spy, obviously. He's a Canadian Air Force man. Um, French should be his first language. Uh 
as quickly becomes evident in the film, it really isn't. It's not when he's top ten, I don't think, because his accent is is a bit chunky. But we find out that he needs to meet his cover story, which is where um, which is where Marion Cotillard comes in. Yes, um, the lovely Marion Boussejour, and together your pronunciation of that is almost as good as Brad Pitt's in the movie. Yeah, he toggles through a variety of it does. There's one point where he mentions her name, and she doesn't even she doesn't even <laughs> click that she's he's talking about her. It's um, like um, Chaku in. Voice Awakens, <laughs> yes. which is pronounced about ten different times, different different ways. But uh, and um, the the two of them have are on a mission, a sort of an inglorious bastard style mission to uh, assassinate a high ranking Nazi in uh, Casablanca, and uh, it, it leads into an opening. The opening third of the film is very classical. Uh, there's obvious echoes of um, of the great Michael Curtiz Humphrey Bogart movie, um, and a uh, really sort of classical. <laughs> Um, and there's really, there's, it's a really sort of cla- shaping up to a really classical romance. But I think what what immediately starts to let it down is, for me, Brad Pitt um, doing oh. what seems to be a bit of a from the sort of uh, Weekend at Bernie school of inert acting. He doesn't he doesn't <laughs> seem to be in immersed in the scenes. I, I know his character is obviously a little circumspect and not wanting to give too much away, yeah. surrounded by Nazis and suspicious neighbours. Um, but up against Cotillard, who's really giving going hell for leather uh, in this in this role. Um, Brad Pitt's quite he's quite sort of it's just a little inert, and the chemistry doesn't really click for me. And I think this film really needs the chemistry for, of those two to click because it is very much a romantic thriller, um, and it does have shades of those old great sort of silver screen classics. Um, it doesn't live up to those for me. The, the movie then moves back to the London under the Blitz, mm-hmm. um, and the bombs are falling, and there's a spy in their midst. Brad Pitt needs to go on a spy hunt. Oh. I don't want to give too much away about the plot because no, it, is, so. it is a bit of a twisty, turny kind of affair. I'm pretty sure um, it's in the trailer. It's pretty much given away in the trailer. I'm trying, I've tried so hard not to spoil it because there is the plot is important. But for me, there are there are some pleasures in it. It's not a it's not a terrible watch by any stretch of the imagination. I gave it two stars because I felt that the films the, the chemistry didn't really work. Mm. I felt that the films that it is referencing directly or indirectly are so hard to homage and it doesn't come close for me I don't also feel like we talked about this yesterday I don't feel like Zemeckis is a great fit for this material I was thinking about it earlier um, we said that maybe someone like Alfonso Cuarón would be good with it something that, that makes it feel more real and earthy and less sort of green screen backdrops um, and uh, it made me think also of um, Anthony Mingala, the late great Anthony Mangella and the English patient maybe he would have been a great fit for this material someone to really bring get the best out of his actors and to and to let the sort of tension build it didn't make me feel tense I think if it's a tense thriller mm-hmm. that's it needs that some funny scenes though we were talking about the um, scene where Brad Pitt needs to impress upon the uh, German who has the uh, invitation to he needs to get. He needs to get somewhere. He needs to get somewhere. He needs to get somewhere. And a German officer, it's, yeah, uh, basically asks him to cut a deck of cards, <laughs> and then Brad Pitt's character, yeah, uh, shuffles the cards in the manner of Clive Owen and Croupier, and <laughs> you're kind of going, what, what, why are you doing this? Um, I, 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 I. I, I I, I, it's, this isn't just because I was looking into Robert Zemeckis's uh, eyes this week, and you know, I I like this film more than you mm. did, and I, and I, I can see why people have been giving it a kicking, but I, equally I can kind of see why people have been giving it raves. It's been kind of it's been very yeah. divisive. It's this been week. two or fours all around. Yeah, 
and uh, so I'm going to go right in the middle and go three. But for me, the first half in particular really worked. I I, I think it's a very bold move to uh, stage a World War Two movie in Casablanca because you're immediately going to evoke memories and we talked about it a little bit with Robert Zemeckis in the the interview Um, he doesn't feel it's as bold as I thought it was I think it's bold because the spectre of Casablanca haunts the movie the filmmaker will go in the the, the audience goer will will go into that with um, the audience goer the movie goer will go into that with the baggage of Casablanca Um, unless of course they haven't seen Casablanca but I think I think it, it it carves out its own identity. It does. It's not Casablanca. It's not rooted in bars. It's not about a skeezy guy undergoing a crisis of confidence or a conscience. I I, th- I think it's slightly different, and it does it, it does a different thing. And I think the f- that first half hour I thought was was very interesting. There's some really really nice mo- moments in there. There's a there's a sex scene in a in a car where you see some of the virtuosity that that Zemeckis can bring as a director I think that that sex scene is very much a Marmite thing for people some people will think it's it, it is a you know it's a fun piece of, of showing off others will think it's overwrought and perhaps laughable but you know, I kind of realised I was enjoying it and I was I was with it and I think it's a, the second half is very interesting again we can't talk too much but the film does very much shift perspectives and it shifts tones and becomes a different movie it's a movie it's a movie of two halves Brian and <laughs> And I enjoyed the second half less than the first half, but it worked mm. enough for me as a paranoid thriller uh, uh, to to work. Mm. And quite frankly, without getting mm. you know without Don't talking too much about away. without talking too much about the real world, it's it's quite nice at the moment to have a yeah. movie in which Nazis get biffed on the nose. It's not just Casablanca that it evokes, though. I mean, it's it's lots and lots of of those sorts of yeah. films. You know, the Hitchcock uh, is a strong influence on this. Um, I just, I just felt like that that central chemistry just wasn't really there, and I felt that the two of them don't really gel, and it needs them. You need to really care about these characters. Um, it's got one or two decent set pieces. Well, I think, I think, I think yeah, I think yeah, I, agree, I agree with that. I don't think that you care enough about Marion Cotillard's character, uh, really, and I think that by the very nature of the screenplay means that she's relegated to the background particularly in the second half it's a shame she's really good mm. she's really the best thing in the film there's some good cameos I like Simon McBurney in this film mm. very much Jared Harris at this point I job. think Simon McBurney's just playing himself in, in movies he's like so this he's, just, he's, he's always playing that same sort of uh, very unctuous very kind of slightly malevolent pencil pusher you know whether it's in yeah. this or Rogue Nation and <laughs> he's brilliant he's absolutely brilliant uh, he can push a variety of pencils. He really he's got can. Great range. He really can. But no, he's a brilliant actor and a terrifying um, HR guy. You want more of him in this? You need more of that tone, I think. More mm. sinisterness and more tension. Anyway, two stars for me. Two stars and two stars officially from Empire Magazine as well. I'm a little bit more up in it, uh, but that is allied. Uh, if you want to see Nazis get biffed on the nose, then go and see it. Uh, but of course, there there are many, many better movies in which Nazis get biffed on the nose. Um, right, so let's move on now to Ama Asante's new movie which is A United Kingdom, which stars David Yellowo and Rosamund Pike, uh, formerly of this podcast, of course. Uh, Phil. Yeah, hi. Hey. Yeah. You're back up. I'm back. You're back up. I'm back. Well, the, I mean, it's Amro Sante following up Belle with another another um, sort of multiracial romance set against the historical backdrop with angst and turmoil. Um, it's lovingly crafted. The backdrop is immediate post-war London and what is now known as Botswana which was then Bechuanaland uh, David Yellowo 
who's in fine form, as usual, plays Soretze Karma, who is the heir to the tribal dynasty in his home country. He's in London in the sort of, you know, post-allied London. You know, buildings are bomb damaged still. There's a sense of optimism, but it's tinged with practical the practical struggles of life but he meets uh, Ruth Williams Um, it's a true life story Ruth Williams is played by Rosamund Pike Uh, she is an office clerk and the two of them fall in love Um, he is obviously African she is white and English Mm -hmm. and their race immediately becomes a big problem interestingly not just in London and the UK and the foreign office who have all kinds of sort of backdoor deals with South Africa for uranium which are weirdly kind of prejudiced by this relationship but also in in Africa as well where David Yellowway finds that his new wife is not flavour of the month with his uh, people so you have a lot of stirring moments in this film um, a lot of opportunities for David Yellowway to do what he did so well in uh, Selma and and, and be that kind of um, charismatic charismatic uh, orator um, and uh, there's just a lot of warmth and I think this film unlike Allied there really is a lot of chemistry in the central relationship and I think this one succeeds where perhaps Allied doesn't for me at least in um, in, in making you care about these characters I mean they're, they're real people obviously they left a, a real um, impact on the world here and in Africa so it's a it's an interesting story from a historical point of view and it's a very moving one from a sort of romantic and sort of personal point of view and and Amor Santi I think is a filmmaker of real kind of emotional empathy and um, Mm. it comes across in this film I mean it's not a flawless piece some of the British villains are a little kind of moustache twirly moustache twirly Jack Davenport um, and uh, I like Jack Davenport but he does a bit of a moustache twirl in this one Um, sort of larger than life villain that might talk about economic austerity while throwing a party in the Ritz for example, that, ooh, hello. Um, and, yeah, I'm not uh, naming any no, names. No, no, no. Pure fiction. Uh, Tom, yeah. Tom Felton, likewise. But you know, you forgive, you forgive it. Those elements, uh, because it has heart and it has, um, you know, economic, an economic uh, sort of style of storytelling. It covers a lot of ground, um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty efficiently and briskly, and uh, it's very moving. We gave it four stars. Four stars indeed for a United Kingdom. Fantastic stuff. And next up is Patterson, which stars uh, Adam Driver, who, of course, again, formerly of this podcast, and is the new film from the great Jim Jarmusch. Yes, this is Patterson. It is a film about a man called Patterson (laughs) who lives in a town called Patterson, New Jersey, uh, and he likes a poem called Patterson. I mean, there's a lot of Patterson in this movie. and there's sort of more nominative determinism because he Adam Driver plays a driver. He is a bus driver. Uh, it's a very nice... This is, I mean, if you've ever seen a Jim Jarmusch film, then you will know sort of what to expect. It's sort of... He's, he doesn't go in for the whiz-bangs. He goes in for the, you know, quiet, ruminative, poetic sides. And this is poetic in a very... Uh, literal sense so Adam Driver's Patterson is a sort of a bus driver who is also an amateur poet and we see his poetry sort of appear on screen and it's all quite sort of uh, thoughtful and low-key and slightly romantic he lives with his wife and his dog 
By the way, his dog is amazing in this film. If you're a fan of dog acting, there's some of the best dog acting you will see on screen this year. Um, there's an English bulldog who I think won the, the Palm Dog Awards oh, at yeah. Cannes. This is like the award they give for the best dog at Cannes Film Festival. Um, and it's it's a very low-key film. It's one of those films where nothing really happens. Uh, we follow him over the course of eight days and he follows a pretty similar routine every day. He gets up, he goes to work, he goes to drive his bus, he writes a bit of poetry, he th- looks at all the people, he walks his dog, he takes, uh, ties his dog up outside a bar, has a beer, goes home to his wife. And it's really nice and gentle. There's nothing of any major incident happens. There's a sort of strange tension to it because you wonder if anything will break this sort of like very peaceful existence. Um, and it never really does. There's an incident at the end which is sort of uh, a little bit shocking in in relative terms, um, but it, it is very sort of quiet and thoughtful uh, and sort of gently funny. There's some dryly amusing supporting characters. So if you you know if you're not the sort of person who enjoys these sort of quiet films, this sort of like lost in translation style movies, this might not be for you. But I absolutely loved it. I thought it was. Um, there, there is poetry in a, as I said, in a literal sense, and also just in a sort of visual sense. There's something quite uh, relaxing and alluring about this life that he leads, which is just very sort of sweet. So yeah, we we gave this four stars. I, having sat with it, I I would almost push to a five. I Ooh. think it's it's Ooh. it's that good. It's just so sort of so perfectly poised and so very carefully pitched. Um, and there's just a lot of craft to it. Uh, so if you're a fan of Jamush and quiet movies, then definitely go see Patterson. I think I might do that this weekend. Please do. I feel like you've sold me. Yeah. Can I borrow £12.50? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, seriously? No. Okay. It's, yeah. I know, genuinely, I have missed this I don't think you were genuinely. I thought you were genuinely going <laughs> to no, beg for money Come there. on. I, I missed page if, you're, if you're in I'm, trouble, I can... I like the sound of this a lot. I like the sound of this a lot. I feel sold. It's very good. His last film, Only Lovers Left Alive, was uh, was very different. I mean, it's it was mm. similar in the sort of tone of it, in the qu- sort of quiet stillness of it. But it's it was more sort of vampire, and this is very down to earth and very sort of realistic. I think people see Jamish as like having his own imprimatur, his own style, but he's quite a f- yeah flexible, varied yeah, yeah. filmmaker in a lot of ways. His films yeah. are quite different one well, from yeah. another. He's got Gimme Danger coming out, which is a yeah, documentary the about the, the Stooges. So, exactly. Yeah, I mean, which is very, very soon. Yeah. Good times. Go. Four stars. Four stars for Patterson. Um, and also out this week, we've also given four stars to The uh, Wailing, which is a South Korean horror film from the director Hong Jing-na. Uh, and although I haven't seen it myself, I hear it's fantastic very very scary very gory and um, two and a half hours long yeah bit of a procedural but but it really gets you involved in the characters and then bad shit starts happening to them Uh, so if you're a fan of horror films it's been a good year for South Korean horror films with Trent Busan Mm. quite recently as well yeah precisely and I've heard really good things about The Wailing as well yeah I really want to see The Wailing difficult though my wife doesn't like horror oh drink again she doesn't like horror films or Wailing or Wailing why she married me I have no idea Uh, so what else is out this week Bad Santa if you talk about whaling um, Bad Santa 2 is out and is as good as everyone expected it to be two stars for Bad Santa 2 so there you go Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast Uh, join us next week for more film related fun when we'll be joined by Double Whammy Aaron Eckhart and Miles Teller 
Uh, he'll be here to talk about Sully, in which Aaron Eckhart appears, and Bleed for Liss, in which they both appear. Weird. It's all very exciting. All very exciting. Oh, and I should mention as well, Helen isn't here this week, but she has asked me to remind people that the new Gilmore Girls is on Netflix as of today, Friday, November, blah, 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 whatever it is. Uh, and um, she enjoyed it. And so you will too. So there you go. She also said Patterson was really good too. She loves Patterson. She loves Patterson. She may go five as well. Well, she reviewed it and she gave it four. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. <laughs> People change. Uh, she could, yeah, she could She could go five. People change. Hairstyles change. It's all good. All right. Okay. Until then, until next week, it is goodbye from John. Goodbye. Uh, it's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye, au revoir. And it's goodbye from me. Uh, I'm off to celebrate Black Friday further by taking an extra 25% off my clothes. And you know what that means, Phil? Oh, no. It means the pants. <laughs> so, yeah. Like the Alien Covenant <laughs> poster run. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.